You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. I put this episode together for you just in time for Valentine's Day, but no pressure. I've got two different guests for you today. One is Layla Martin, who's looking at scientific approaches to the effective practice of tantric sex. Layla studied human sexuality and human biology at Stanford, spent a decade learning from tantric masters in Asian jungles, and founded the Tantric Institute of Integrated Sexuality, where she teaches people about, well, epic sex and love. So there is science behind some of the things that you might not really talk about or hear about unless you're on some of the websites that you may or may not frequent. And our second guest is a professional dominatrix and life coach named Mistress Natalie, who's been on the show a couple times, been on the stage at my biohacking conference. And she talks through the therapeutic value of BDSM, which if you haven't heard of the term bondage, discipline, and sadism and masochism. Yeah, you heard that right, BDSM. She thinks it's one of the best life hacks out there, and she is herself a biohacker who uses the things we've talked about here on the show for almost a decade now, and she's got certifications in fitness training and yoga. She was on the panel about sex experts at the seventh annual biohacking conference that just happened in Florida. So the combination of Layla and Mistress Natalie on the show today, I promise you, there's not a raunchy show. (laughs) There will be some funny jokes in here because you can't talk about this stuff without at least chuckling. But I would encourage you to understand there is science behind all the weird stuff that human beings do when the bedroom doors are closed. And we're learning about it. And I'm quite curious about it. It's been a part of my own path of evolution. And it's definitely there in the world of biohacking. And another note, if you're thinking that it might be time for you to try some plant medicine that may or may not be legal where you are, you might want to add tantric sex to the list of things to try before you do it because it is a way to powerfully leave your body, get out of your head, and experience the world from a very different perspective. And if you have read my books, you know that one of the laws in Game Changers is find a way to get outside of your head. This episode is going to show you one of the many ways that we're capable biologically, scientifically, and yeah, spiritually of getting out of our own way. Enjoy. Today's guest, Layla Martin, has studied human sexuality and human biology at Stanford and then spent 10 years learning from tantric masters in the jungles of Asia. She founded the Tantric Institute of Integrated Sexuality and teaches people how to have epic sex and legendary love through a method she invented called the Vita method. And her YouTube channel has about 90 million views. I mean, who would have thought a YouTube channel about sex having views? <laughs> Layla, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> now, you call yourself a hardcore science nerd with a keen interest in mystical things. How does hardcore science mix with mysticism? Well, it's amazing that most science, like this study that you've just cited, is starting to back up what people already know if they're (laughs) traveling and journeying in those areas. So I've known for 10, 15 years how much sex is a portal to higher states of consciousness, to rhythmic flow within the brain. Literally, they teach in ancient Tantra that chakra work is really a hidden way to activate all areas of your brain. Today's guest is Mistress Natalie. 
She is a professional dominatrix. She's got about 20 years of doing something called BDSM, and we're going to have a, a scientific conversation about why and how and what what happens there. So welcome to the show, and this, this is going to be fun. And Let's talk about, about your definition of BDSM. So, so there are people listening, and there's all kinds of preconceived notions about this. Uh, I've had a few friends who are, are super into BDSM, and they all like different things, and it seems like a very broad definition. So uh, tell the audience how you define it, and, uh, and let's just go through your story and then talk about what it does for people. So first, what is it? Well, um, the acronym is Bondage, Discipline, Dominant, Submission, and Sadomasochism. But again, those words mean a lot of different things to different people, especially when you put them all together. And it definitely excludes um, another part of BDSM, which is fetishism. So the actual acronym doesn't really represent the, the whole picture. And it is hugely, hugely um, just wide open to people's perception of what they consider BDSM. For me, because I've been practicing for so long and I have a lot of interests, um, it could be a range of things, but I could tell you instead of maybe what exactly it is, is what it's not, at least for me in my professional and personal life. It's not about really truly hurting somebody it's not about um, being completely selfish, and it's not about being this demanding, overarching, stereotypical woman who's just using and debasing another human being. It's really about using kinky things, counterculture things, fetish, and some of the things we would associate with BDSM, you know, bondage and leather and restraints and restriction um, and punishment to sort of get a person to where they need to be. And that's why what I do is so broad because it's completely individualized. The, the Tantra practice itself was originally around longevity and around immortality. Yes. Why did Tantra become so focused on sex if it was originally a longevity practice? It became mostly focused around sex in the 1920s all the way into the 1980s. There were waves of a couple of Tantra teachers who came that were teaching Neo-Tantra, uh, specifically from India. And they really, you know, when I really look at their teachings, one of the things I saw was that a core tantric teaching is go where there is the most resistance. Go where you have the most conditioning. Go where God is the least and find your access point there. So, you know, one of the teachings in yoga, everything is one. That's also a core tantra teaching. That's how it got into the yogic tradition. But most people are really comfortable saying God is one in the spaces they like, in the places they're comfortable with. So I believe a lot of these tantric masters were looking at where in the modern era do we have the most blockage, the most resistance, the most fear, the most hangups. It's in our sexuality. It's in your anus, your relationship to your own body. Right. Like it's that simple. People usually have the most hang ups around pornography, around their sexual functioning. Most people would be horrified if there was an image of them having an orgasm on the Internet. And orgasm is one of the most sacred, beautiful things a human can experience. So these Tantra teachers were essentially saying, let's go where there's the greatest return on doing work, because the heart of the Tantric teaching isn't being sexual or having amazing sex. The heart of the Tantric teaching is unwind your systematic conditioning that puts 
puts you to sleep and saps your energy. So I believe that they were recognizing that sex has one of the greatest returns on, in, on investment for people doing conscientious focused work. Well, what does in chastity mean? Um, there's various devices that you can actually wear that sort of keep your genitals from getting an erection and that you can't stimulate it at all. So it's just sort of being locked away. <laughs> so you actually like padlock the, the, the equipment there. All right. So you kind yeah. of take that off the table at the beginning. Just take like it, the, this has nothing to do with what we're about to do. You're locked up. I have the key. Maybe you'll get it back. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, I sometimes I'll keep the key, give them a, a key in a lockbox with a combination, and then they have to wait X number of days for hopefully the email that <laughs> comes so, with the So code. you like send them home and they're still padlocked. Wow. I, I yeah. guess the TSA must Wives, have. they love it. <laughs> the wives the, love it. Well, if, if they're a couple and the couple is okay with this kind of play, okay. um, you know, a lot of times their assignments, you know, they'll have assignments to really give their partner a lot of attention and um, all of a sudden the focus just all goes on on pleasing somebody else. So how much do you consider what you do psychological versus physical? Um, at this point, I would say it's a good 85% psychological, but I have um, 22 years of getting a group of subs that are probably more interested in the psychological benefits and the deeper connection that this can give. I don't take on a lot of new people at this point in my career. Um, and if I do, they really have to be interested in sort of the overarching sense of what BDSM can give and not just the, the physical aspect of it, because I feel that's fleeting. So if you can tap into the mental aspects of it, um, that'll just keep giving and giving and giving I have some subs now that are in their mid to late 70s. Wow. Um, and when other things start to not work so well and the body can't handle as much because I've been seeing them for 10 and six, up to 16 years consistently, um, you know, the brain is still very active and you can continue getting such joy out of things and that that sense of total relief and, and stress relieving from the mental aspect. So me personally, my style is way more mental than physical. I definitely believe that being connected to your body, understanding your energy system and having an ability to feel heightened sensations all contribute to being excellent in bed. Also just a general comfort with your body, like who you are and how you show up is more important to me than sexual performance. And that I think is really the heart of being an outstanding lover. And this idea that you can actually train your sexuality the way that you would your physical health and fitness, your diet. We just don't have a model in society of valuing sexuality and sexual evolution. So I also never like, you know, for people to hear, oh, wow, someone's best in bed. And then I feel a lot of people respond to that with shame because they haven't realized that they have that same ability within themselves if they spend the time and do the work to cultivate it. But what I see is when you're sitting there meditating, if you are in a state of numbness, a state of disconnection, you get bored, you're listening to your thoughts, your meditation's like empty, it's hollow. When you fully accept 
what's going on. When you listen one level deeper, the meditation opens back up. You're in a state of flow. You're in a state of connection. Like life comes alive again. So in relationship, I notice the same thing happens. The container of relationship is designed to pull subconscious patterning up, blockages to love, blockages to sex, blockages to deep intimacy. But because couples don't recognize that, and we've all been conditioned to think it should be a fairy tale, we should want to hop into bed with each other all the time. If we don't have that, there's something wrong with the relationship. Instead of actually changing that perspective to say, wow, my relationship is supposed to bring up issues. It's supposed to bring up discomfort. It's supposed to bring up pain from the past. And if I actually sit with it, integrate it, work on it, ask what's coming up, accept it. What I see is just like in meditation, those states integrate and move away and the love gets reborn and the sexual connection gets reborn even deeper than ever. That all sounds great. So how do you actually do that? (laughs) So (laughs) this is where also it can be hard. Like we're, you know, it would be like in the 1950s being like, how do you do yoga? You know, like we don't have a cultural baseline for fully understanding it. But what I like to think about is actually having a shared meditation practice, but between partners. So, I mean, is, is BDSM something that puts people in a state of flow? Oh, definitely. With, without a doubt. Um, in, the, in the community, generally, people call it subspace. Okay. Um, but yeah, it can, it can if, if done properly, uh, really put the person who's participating in it in a, a serious state of flow. And, you know, the after effects um, can, can last days where, you know, there, there's focus, there, there's relaxation, you know, there, there's clarity. Um, so I, I would see a huge parallel between the two. Okay, so, so people are coming to you, they're, they're pushing their boundaries. And, and we know from the research on, on flow that pushing your boundaries puts you in a state of flow. And, and what you've got going on here is, a, is you're pushing different boundaries than your ability to run even further uh, in a marathon or something. You're pushing your boundaries. Well, what is the boundary that you're pushing? Like, like it, it seems like... You know. For everybody, it's different. You know, I, I think for some people, running a ha- half marathon would, would get them into that state if they weren't trained. And for other people, they'd have to run three marathons. Um, so everybody's sort of trail path to get to that state is different. That's why it's really important to sort of communicate with them. For some people, it's, you know, physical, say corporal punishment, one specific thing, you know, spanking, flogging, whipping, Uh, slowly, gradually building up, taking more and more intensity, more and more severe pieces of equipment over a period of time until they get there. And some people can get there really quickly. And again, some people, you know, takes them quite a bit of time a lot more pushing. Um, same for bondage, you know, restriction. For some people, it's simple. It's a blindfold or a gag. And for others, it literally has to be head and neck immobilization, blindfold, gag, straight jacket, body bag, you know, toe bondage. But it could be any of these activities to, to really push that person. It sounds kind of like an addiction because like you you start out with just one and then you need two and then you need three is this is this like smoking or is this like an opiate (laughs) and endorphin addiction like well i don't know if it's so much an addiction um for some people um i think just like with marathoners like one marathon will always be enough like that will always be more than enough Uh, but for other people they do one marathon and it's like no i want to try ultra marathon 
So I have people I've been seeing for, you know, literally 15 years and they're, what would get them into flow is still the same as it was about 15 years ago. Um, and then there are the more, more, more people. And that's a, a lot more challenging because sometimes I need to rein it in and be like, no, there isn't more, more, more. Like this has to, you have to learn to sort of adjust your expectations to what we, what we have right here. Because it's not really healthy to keep expecting and always wanting bigger and better and more. It's not, it's not possible. I don't know, Layla. I'm feeling a little discomfort about just, you know, dumping all my feelings on my partner because they might not like it. So here's the key. You want to build safety and vulnerability slowly and over time, and you don't want to dump. And so that's the thing as well about really expressing is it's not just sharing with my partner, expecting them to be okay. It's taking responsibility for my feelings and my expression and slowly over time building the safety. So I get a little bit more vulnerable with you you meet me with safety, or if you don't, we actually work on that. What would safety look like? Then you get a little bit more vulnerable with me and I create safety for you. Or if I don't, we kind of realize, okay, that's our edge right now. How do we go from there and keep building more and more and more? So yeah, you don't go home and be like, hey, guess what? I've been fantasizing about orgies with like, you know, 20 oiled up people at a sex party or whatever. And your partner's like, what the fuck? Like you... <laughs> <laughs> that's not but, what I'm saying, but it's beautiful in partnership to actually build up to this space of knowing who be, being okay, holding safety of experience for who the other person is. Now, this is what I've found. And you can totally question on me on this. And all of you can try this out over time. Long-term relationships only maintain sexual attraction and heightened love if there's a willingness to explore, to be vulnerable, to be open. Now, that doesn't mean you have to share all your thoughts and feelings with your partner all the time, that you have to like leak out on them or, you know, share all your shitty feelings all the time and like bring them down. But it's a kind of uh, integrity with them about who you are and a willingness to express that over and over again. How did you do that? Like, like the, I want to hear the other things, but like, how do you get someone to lose 100 pounds? By, well, there's by a couple of people who've lost yeah. more than 50. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm so proud, so proud of them. It's absolutely amazing. Um, again, accountability is, is a large part of it. And, you know, they don't want to disappoint me. That's a, another really huge aspect to this because we already have a relationship and they don't want to come in and be disappointed. And then there's always the fear of if I'm disappointing and I'm not living up to what I say I'm going to do, I'm not going to get to participate in this activity and have this relationship anymore. Because I make it very clear that if they're not serious, then I'm just not going to see them. And, you know, I'm going to I'm not going to invest my time and energy uh, into this relationship unless you come to me with the same amount that, that I'm going to bring. Because I'm always going to bring 100 percent. So I expect the same out of my subs and that really really drives them because they know I never phone it in um so if I'm preparing and I'm planning and I'm putting things together and I'm being very particular to their needs or, or interests um they need to sort of give me the, the same in return and as far as the 100 pounds it was very interesting being 240 pounds at one point myself 100 pounds more than I weigh now I completely understand what it's like to be on that side of things. And so in planning for this trip, every time I'd see them, 20 pounds, 20 pounds, 20 pounds. And then 
they said to me, which is what I suspected, is that I didn't want to go to a beach area and walk around with you looking the way that I used to look because I would have embarrassed you. Wow. I mean, talk about powerful. You know, it's like... That is powerful. It's You know, it really almost brings tears to my eyes to just think just the relationship that we had would make them do something like lose 100 pounds after you know, trying and struggling for, for so long. Did I, did I know that that little trip was going to cause this, this effect? Absolutely not. But once I saw what it was doing, I totally picked up on that and then started having um, all the things that I could do, putting it in place to make sure that they would continue down that path. So contrast the male perspective on orgasm and ejaculation versus the female perspective for me. Right. So the female perspective is that orgasm is one of the highest energy states you can get into. It also floods your body with oxytocin, dopamine, like all of these amazing um, uh, neurological experiences related to hormones, related to neurotransmitters, all of that. It's like this deeply healing state. And all the research backs that up, that the more sex you have, the healthier you are. So for a woman to learn to work with your pleasure and even ecstasy. So I love talking about ecstasy because pleasure is the first step. But when you're fully like surrendered to it, your mind is blown, which is what we say we want in sex. It's actually ecstasy. And what's so fascinating is most ancient cultures used ecstasy as a path to heal. Uh, One of the things I love is in the ancient Greek uh, traditions, the pagan traditions, uh, before Christianity came, it was ecstasy that healed your soul. So you didn't go to a priest and practice confession. You drenched yourself in ecstasy and that's what healed and saved you uh, because it was like a purifying element to your soul. You go to like a sex temple. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so for women specifically to learn to say yes to that pleasure state, to learn to enter states of ecstasy, which a lot of women are terrified of, and I have tremendous compassion for that. I started out that way, and yet it's accessible to all of us. Um, That's one of their big uh, sexual journeys, if you will. And the more orgasms they can have, the more uh, they can enter that orgasmic state. I just see that that makes women stronger, healthier, more anchored, more connected. For men, as you're talking about, it's a little bit different. It's learning to harness. It's learning to be in control of. It's learning to be able to sit and not be like overcome by your sexual desire, overcome by the sexual impulse, but to actually channel and work with the sexual impulse. And there's a lot for men in being able to say no, in being able to witness, and then ultimately in being able to work with. So I think the next stage after, you know, a certain amount of ejaculation abstinence is learning to work with all of that energy that you've harnessed. Now that will naturally flood into whatever you're doing in your life. So it will flood into your career, it will flood into your high level thinking will flood into the way you present yourself on stage, the way you raise your children, all of that. But for men, I believe it's my personal belief and experience that that high level supercharged state is valuable as well. And so once you have stopped feeling controlled by the need to ejaculate or controlled by the need to procreate, you can then also work with that ecstatic pleasure filled intimacy. And I think men are socialized to believe that that's not as much for them. And I don't believe that. I believe men are just as healed and nourished by deep orgasmic states, by deep states of pleasure and ecstasy. It's just that Once they separate that from ejaculation, they don't have to make the choice anymore and they can actually train their bodies where orgasm becomes a nourishing experience rather than a depleting experience. You mentioned slut training. What is slut training? (laughs) 
Okay, slut training is actually one of my favorite things to do. And it plays into a lot of role reversal. So basically, it's taking uh, this guy who's probably, you know, pretty guy's guy kind of guy, either, you know, Wall Street or lawyer or construction worker, um, and taking the role and reversing it. And one, we never call men sluts. That's, you know, that's a term that's only used for women in a pretty derogatory one. So it's fun to sort of take whatever sexual arousal that they're feeling and sort of call them a slut just because it's something that's counter culture or something you're not supposed to do. And then uh, emasculate them with a pair of panties, stockings, and make them do sort of feminine things. Um, and a lot of my clients are very into the whole imagery of a female with a strap on. It's a fetish. So putting them in a position where I'm literally wearing, you know, the, the genitals of a guy and they are forced into this position of, of being more like a, a woman, a, a maid, um, crawl around, nails painted, lipstick. It could go pretty far to, okay. you know, full transformation. Um, but even if it's just embracing sort of their sexuality in a non-masculine way, uh, I think men approach sex in a, in a certain way and they always have to be the one in charge and it's all about the orgasm. But when you sort of flip it on them and make them moan and like touch their own body and sort of get in touch with that more feminine side of themselves, um, it's, a, it's an interesting mind flip. And I, to, to see what it does to them and the, the sort of creativity that they come up with and the, the letting go of preconceived notions and boundaries and just sort of diving into this place. And I mean, if you were outside looking in, you would think it was ridiculous. You know, here's this six foot four guy who's burly with a beard and a bra and panties rolling around on the floor, touching himself and moaning like a girl. <laughs> I mean, uh, the imagery is literally, it, it, I mean, honestly, if, if the outsider looking in would be like, this is just stupid. But when you're in the moment and, you know, you're sort of being told to do these things that are really challenging you. I mean, challenging your masculinity, challenging who you are as a person, um, doing all these feminine things that you're not supposed to do. You're breaking all of these boundaries and notions of who you are as a person um, and sort of putting yourself in that situation is, is very challenging, but I also think pretty cathartic for a lot of guys. Um, getting them to just be more in, in tune with their emotions and their intuition. I had one person say after a couple of years, did lots of sled training. He's like, you know, this whole thing, I have to thank you for the huge boost in the career that I have had because I have literally been able to change the way that I think when I approach things now. And it's no longer from this sort of, you know, narrow focused, masculine, this is the way the job is supposed to be done kind of way. And I've really started thinking outside of the box and going in areas other people were scared to go. And he's like, my business has just shot through the roof. And he's like, I have you to thank for it. So, and my my okay. sissy training. <laughs> Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols 
to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Was Fifty Shades of Grey good for the world's sex life or bad for it? Well, I think it was I think it was positive and then it was like, wow, women have desire. They want kinky hot stuff. They want, you know, they they have these desires. It's okay to want to be dominated. It's okay to want to be like, you know, instructed what to do and be brought into surrender. When I read Fifty Shades of Grey, I was like, wow, like, yes, it's hot. It's hot to surrender. It's hot to experience domination. It's hot to experience leadership in the bedroom. Now, that's not the only desire that women have. It's multifaceted, but I loved that that at least got some airtime let's say also apparently erotica is almost like like porn is what men like to consume sexually in general although women consume porn as well but women like to consume erotica and there's this huge untapped appreciation for women's relationship to erotica one of my favorite uh, uh, little strange things that popped up on instagram somewhere was a picture that someone said mom had sent her. Oh, look, the kitty's reading. It's a picture of her iPad and little kittens peeking over the top of it. <laughs> but then you look on the screen and it's like raunchy porn, <laughs> like not video porn, but you're like, like yeah, yeah, uh, totally, written porn, yeah. erotica. But, and, and the thread at the bottom was, mom, what are you reading? And like, <laughs> Like mommy's reading things that make her feel amazing, you know, yeah. but the thing I didn't like about Fifty Shades of Grey was like, it's non-consensual. It's not the best example of how amazing BDSM can be. And I feel like every couple should do a good high quality BDSM training, whether they're into kink or not, because it makes your power dynamics so conscious. Yeah. Learning how to surrender or accept surrender would be a pretty important, uh, pretty important skill. Uh, Mistress Natalie came on a while ago yeah, uh, and talked about that and kind of what she had done with her clients and all and how it was mostly psychology and really not it, it's sexy but not actual sex it's so psychological and to learn how to dom your partner a partner who wants to be dommed and is willing to be dommed it's like mm, it's one of the most delicious skills okay someone comes to you tomorrow and says i want to kick ass at everything like i want to perform better at life what are the three most important things that i should know what would you tell them given your very unusual journey through life let's see um, I would say the first thing would be uh, be self-aware. And if you're not, definitely look into finding out who you are as a person and what it is that you like and what really makes you tick or who do you really want to be. Because I think too many times in life we are stuck doing a whole bunch of stuff that we uh, don't really want to do because everyone tells us we shouldn't. It'll make us happy. And most people wind up being miserable. So really finding a lot of self-awareness is, is going to be the first first thing that's super important. Um, then have some sort of um, like practice of being grateful for things, even, even things that you might think you shouldn't be grateful for, you know, finding some way to really look at your life and be like, wow, you know, I'm grateful for X, Y, and Z and, and do that on a pretty consistent basis. Cause I think that gets lost in the looking for more, trying to be better or getting down on yourself. So, uh, that would be, uh, number two. And number three would probably be to make sure to confront, confront your fears. Um, you know, challenge yourself in some way. 
I like to personally do one thing that's going to scare the crap out of me uh, every year. Like one big, like this yeah. is really scary to me um, and I'm going to do it. And it doesn't have to be a big thing, but just, you know, even if they're small fears, like you'd be surprised how amazing it feels to actually confront the fear. And then you realize the fear of the fear was way worse than the fear itself. And it could hold you back from a lot in life. Tell me more about polarity. What's that? Polarity is this idea that like, just like in a battery, if one person is very, uh, is holding one side of the energy coin and another person holds the other side, there can be a lot of attraction between the two. So kind of the core polarity in the tantric and Taoist tradition is consciousness and energy. So one partner is really bringing full presence. And what's interesting is you can even think of it in terms of dominance and submission, like the fully conscious partner is in some ways directing and holding the space of the experience. And when someone shows up and does that, the other partner naturally can fall into energy flow and surrender. So it's playing with that dynamic. Now, a lot of people crave energy flow and surrender, both men and women. That's why a lot of men go and see doms in BDSM because they want that state of energy flow and surrender. And oftentimes their female partners aren't willing to dom them or show up in consciousness enough to offer them the opportunity to surrender. So it's been too often put into a narrow gendered box that men hold consciousness and women hold energy. But I don't find that to be true at all. It's we both crave the stillness and mastery of holding dynamic space for our partners and allowing them to surrender. And we all crave this deep surrender where your mind is gone. You're in a space of loss of control. And usually your body floods with energy in that state. So it's really powerful to be able to navigate what happens to my partner when I really own the consciousness pull. Are they able to surrender and drop in energetically and vice versa? And you can actually work through blockages, right? A lot of women have fear of being the conscious pull in their partner because they've been conditioned to believe that that's what men do. But a lot of men are going to see like dominatrixes because they crave this state of surrender. They crave being flooded with energy. So I, I train women in heterosexual partnerships to offer experiences for men that allow them that surrendered energy state, uh, you know, 30 minute penis massages, breathwork sessions, things where men learn to enter surrender and they don't have to perform. They don't have to be in a state of control and vice versa. If you ask women, what is your number one sexual craving? I'd say the top one that I see over and over again is I I want to surrender. I want to be, you know, you don't say the full word, so I want I want to be effed open to God, right? <laughs> I want I want the third thing brought to me and I want it to blow my mind and I want to be in a state of like just mind blown, right? That's a state of surrender. So for women to conscientiously say, wow, what keeps me out of surrender? How can my partner support me into a greater state of surrender? But also uh, you can train yourself through woke masturbation to be able to surrender. So it's not all about your partner. You're not waiting for the perfect partner. Maybe it's the pool boy and you can get into a really powerful state of ecstatic surrender. When you learn to do that, it's so sexually liberating because you're not waiting around for your partner to figure it out. Although obviously you still want to express your desires to your partner and being having sex that feels good to you. Now, Mistress Natalie, where can people find out more about you? Um, my website is mistressnatalie.com. So that would probably be the, the best place. There are some videos up, uh, another interview that I did, and some videos of my studio, and a plethora of information, photos going back to the early years and the uh, early 2000s and uh, sort of my statement about what I do and philosophies and um, 
then I have my blog, which is definitely more graphic. So um, if you're squeamish, that might not be the place to start. So, so, you, you, so you just tripled your traffic levels when you said that. <laughs> oh, no, not a graphic blog. That'd be terrible. Um, on, uh, on that note, Mr. Snavely, anything else you'd like to say to the audience before we sign off? Um, just keep listening to this absolutely amazing podcast. And I hope that there are a lot of people out there who got something beneficial out of it. There's all sorts of crazy stuff that's out there. Totally. And we're so unaware of it. One of the most basic things I teach men who don't believe in energy is, you know, if you're having consensual sex with a partner, just imagine a beam of powerful, potent energy coming out of your penis and penetrating your partner. <laughs> and just see what happens and tell me whether you believe in energy or not. Yeah, they'll believe in energy after that. That's not a problem. <laughs> so just talking about that, studying it, uh, both from a mystical and from a, a science perspective and putting it into a body of knowledge is, is, is valuable work. And honestly, it's one of those three F words that all people have to deal with to evolve as humans. So I'm glad that you're out there at the forefront doing that work. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if you talk about meditation, if you capture people talking about deep states of meditation and deep states of orgasm, you actually can't tell the difference between the two. Yeah. So it's crazy that we've made one of them like uplifted now and sacred in our society. And like it's encouraged to practice meditation and mindfulness, although that is only in the last 10 years. It's my mission for sexuality to have that same elevation and for people to have the same level of awe and comfort and appreciation for what sex has to offer us. Well, it's it's coming. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting. I there was literally waiting should just... be nothing after that. There should be nothing. He actually winked because you couldn't see that, but there was that was like mic drop. You're listening to the Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.